0: Thanks, John. If you've got a Bible in front of you, we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're looking at the second part of this chapter this morning. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 down to 30. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division amongst the body, but that his parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part suffers rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you has a part of it and God has placed in the church first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. And if we were to carry on there, which we will do next week, we go into that amazing passage about the indispensability of love. Let's pray again. Lord, as we open this, your word this morning, I just pray that our hearts will be receptive, Lord, if we're cold in our hearts this morning, would you just melt them? If we're so bound up with the stuff of life that we have no room for you, Lord, would you just break in by your Holy Spirit? So speak to us we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. We all like stories, don't we? Yeah? And, you know, stories are good. We tell stories in life, lots of different ways. And also, sort of in our culture, in the background, are stories that perhaps we've grown up with and they've just become part of life. If I mention Jack and the Beanstalk today and ask most of us to tell that story, anybody be able to tell me Jack and the Beanstalk? I'm not going to ask you to do it, but just put your hand up if you could roughly tell me the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Yeah, I won't carry on, you get the point. But stories play a background in our culture. And this was exactly the same in the culture of Paul's day. Anybody read Aesop's fables? Nick, Helen, a few people dotted around have read them. Do you know this well-known story? The belly and the members of the body, anyone? This story was written in about 600 BC, and I'm going to tell you my own adaptation of a bit of it. So sit comfortably, put your feet up, and have a listen. Once upon a time... Two parts of the body fell out with each other. It was the belly and the legs. The legs were fed up with having to carry belly around all day long. Belly, you are so big, they complained. And you are so heavy. Stop eating all that cake and perhaps you'll be a little bit easier to carry. We are so much more important than you are. When you sit, we're there. When you walk about. We're doing the work. Belly wasn't impressed. You're talking rubbish, said the belly. I'm far more important. You can't exist without me. I provide the food to keep you going. The body can live without a pair of legs, but it can't live without a belly. Great story, isn't it? It goes on and on and on. I won't bore you with the rest of it. But you get the drift. This kind of story was actually really popular in Paul's day. And people, philosophers, would actually sit down and discuss how a story like that one I've just told you could actually speak about society. That story was used to talk about the army. And apparently, the belly was meant to be the general and the legs were meant to be the soldiers. You can view that how you want. You know, the belly just hung around doing absolutely nothing while the soldiers did all the hard work. But people in Paul's day were used to this kind of story, being used to put people in their place and to say there are people more important than you. You have a role to play, but it's an insignificant one compared to other people. So when Paul brings in, in this chapter, talk about the body of Christ, people immediately get what he's talking about. You know, it's like me sort of saying, Jack and the Beanstalks, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's there in people's mind. But what Paul does with this passage is absolutely amazing because he tips on the head people's preconceptions about what it's about. The Church of Jesus Christ is a body. It's a body made up of many parts, but it's not a hierarchy. It's not suppressed uniformity, but rather it's diverse and it's all about Jesus. Galatians 3, 27 to 28. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says that the church is a body. Now, I know we say it often, but I think it's important just to reiterate, this building that we are in this morning is not church. It is not the church. Who said this morning, I'm going to church today to somebody? You know, I did. (laughs) But it almost makes as much sense as saying, I'm going to family. It's just a bit of a nonsense when we talk like that. This building is not anything special. It is just a building. It's not God's house. It's not a temple. It's simply the place where we organize ourselves to meet for worship. See, what this passage will say is that the body of Christ is the people, the church of Jesus Christ. It's multinational. It's multiracial. It's right across the world. And it's everybody who has heard that call of Jesus to respond to him in repentance and faith. So let's look, first of all, about becoming part of the body. So what Paul does is he starts off reminding the Corinthians as to how they became part of the body of Christ. You don't do it through filling in an online form. You don't do it through a lengthy membership application process. You can't become part of the body through birth. You can't become part of the body of Christ through somebody else's decision either. There is only one way, Paul says, and it's through baptism. Baptism in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. But what on earth is he on about? That um, Galatians reading said, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, the one in Corinthians talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, to become a follower of Jesus is about coming to Jesus in repentance. That means saying sorry for the way we've tried to live our lives without him. And also coming in faith, believing that Jesus is who he says he is. Believing that he is the Word made flesh, the Son of God, the firstborn from among the dead. It says in Romans 10, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess and are saved. It is just as the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is rich to all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what Paul is talking about is that belonging to the body of Christ is about believing in Jesus. It's that simple. And he says when we do that, actually, we are justified. It's a bit of a complicated word that Paul uses in that Romans passage, but basically it means we're made right before God. All that stuff, all that rubbish in our lives that stops us from being able to reach God, the Bible calls it sin, is taken away. Jesus takes it all. I don't know about your life, but I think all our lives are full of rubbish, aren't they? Full of selfish motives, full of times when we deceive other people, full of times when actually we just want our own way and we don't think about other people. And we can't do anything about that of ourselves. We can't get rid of it. We forgot to put our black bins out this week. Terrible, isn't it? Have you ever done that? And the frustration of going and seeing everybody else's black bins that have now been emptied, and ours is sat there around the back here, full of rubbish. Here it is. <laughs> That's not our bin, just in case you are worrying. and thinking you really need to get on with recycling. But you know, this week, I could put our bin out every night and think, hopefully somebody will take it away. Hopefully there's another way, other than the bin lorry coming around and removing it. I could also say, well, I'm not going to add any more to the rubbish. This week is a rubbish-free week. Good luck with that one. (laughs) But it wouldn't deal with the problem, would it? The rubbish would just keep piling up and piling up in the bin. I can't get rid of that rubbish. Well, I can actually. I can go to the tip, and this is where this illustration falls down. (laughs) But hopefully, you get the point. There is one rubbish collection. It comes twice a week, and the rubbish is taken. Otherwise, it just keeps building up and building up and building up. You know, that is the truth of our lives, isn't it? Rubbish accumulates. Sin, rubbish, stuff that we do that goes against other people and against God just gathers in the background of our lives. The Bible is very clear. It's only through Jesus, through what he did on the cross, that that rubbish can be taken. That he takes it all onto himself. That he dies In our place. Now our rubbish should cause us death. But Jesus takes it onto himself. In a few moments Richard is going to go through this lukewarm water that's here. He's going to be plunged into baptism. And when he does that he is declaring what God has already done. Because baptism is a symbol of what has already happened. That he's already died to his own way. That he's already said Jesus is Lord. And we celebrate this morning being part of God's forgiven people. Now, Richard, I hate to break it to you this morning, and particularly Carol, I hate to break it to you. But Richard will keep on doing wrong things after today. You know, I was baptised 18 years ago. Not 18 years ago. I was baptised when I was 18. I wish that was 18 years ago. (laughs) And believe me, I've done a lot of rubbish in those intervening years. Um, We were chatting about baptism this week with our two boys, and Nathaniel suddenly announced to us, he said, I'm going to leave it till I'm very old before I'm baptised. Because there'll be a lot of sin in my life, and I I want it to be all got rid of in one go, and then I won't sin afterwards. I don't know what he's got planning on doing, but (laughs) perhaps we need to bear that one in mind. But actually the point here is that Jesus' offer of forgiveness is not just the one-off. He isn't the once-a-week rubbish collector. But he keeps forgiving us every time we come back to him. An ongoing call to come to him for forgiveness. And he will never turn us away. He will never turn us away when we turn to him in repentance and faith. There may be some of us this morning and we sat here and we've turned to Jesus. And we're living that life. We've turned to Jesus in faith and repentance. But actually we've not yet been through here. Jesus calls us in obedience to be baptised. It's a command of the Lord, an outward sign of what has already gone before. Yeah, baptism is one of those few things that if you're following Jesus this morning, but you've not been baptized, don't spend years praying about whether you should. Read your Bible and say, actually, I'm going to be obedient to what Jesus has called me to do. It's one of those few things we don't need to pray about because actually Jesus has already told us the answer. If you've believed on the name of the Lord, go through the waters of baptism. Perhaps there's a challenge for some of us today to literally take the plunge. Well, perhaps not the plunge, but the baptism. And to make that step of faith. Or perhaps today you're here and actually you're trying to deal with the rubbish of your life on your own. And you're thinking that somehow just by being nice, you'll stop that rubbish accumulating. You know, that will never happen. You'll never get to God that way. You'll spend your whole life trying and you'll miss the point. We need Jesus. And when we turn to him, he will do something absolutely amazing. And we will find the arms of the Heavenly Father welcoming us back and telling us of his love for us. Galatians 3 talks about water baptism. This passage in Corinthians talks about baptism in the Holy Spirit. Again, it's that symbolism symbolism of being plunged into the fullness of God. Ephesians 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The kind of seal there is the wax seal that goes on a letter to say, this belongs to a certain person, a document, and say that's what it's about. The New Testament is incredibly clear. When we accept Jesus as Lord, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives and we become temples of the Holy Spirit. There can be a lot of confusion, I think, in today's church about what the Holy Spirit baptism is all about. We haven't really got time to unpack that in any great depth this morning. But just to say that if you are following Jesus, the Bible knows of no sort of Christian who follows Jesus but isn't sealed by the Holy Spirit. But what it does say is that we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That may be for a second time, it may be for a third time, maybe for a fourth or a fifth. Or just that continuous prayer, Lord keep filling me with your spirit. Let's move on. We've talked about becoming part of the body, now about belonging to the body. If you've got your Bible there, verses 15 to 21, I don't know if you got this when we were reading it, but I think Paul is trying trying, um, to be funny here. When we sort of put this in the background against the belly and the leg story and other sorts of stories that were going around on the time, Paul goes off into um, this really ridiculous sort of scenario of different parts of body declaring, in, in, sort of declaring independence from each other. You get, first of all, the foot says, because it's not the hand, it wants to be out, and it's going to hop off on its own and declare independence. And then um, the hand wants to leave. And then verse 16, it's all about the ear. And then verse 17, Paul offers us a really silly comment about... What happens if the whole body was an eye? You know, just get this picture of an enormous eye that is the body. It wouldn't be a lot of use. Or what if it was all the ear? And so what Paul is doing here is pushing this this sort of illustration, this metaphor, to get his point across. In Corinth, there were those who, because they could do certain things by the Holy Spirit, felt that they were the most important. And it was particularly around those who were speaking in tongues. Think about that belly and leg story again. There may have been people thinking, well, because I can do this, I'm more important than the others. You're less significant than me because your role is not important. You know, our society talks a lot about equality. We talk about gender equality, we talk about racial equality, we talk about equality of income or equal opportunities. Now, many of those things have worthy aims and are to do with fighting injustice. But, you know, human attempts at equality, no matter how worthy, will often trip up. Because we're selfish. We're self-seeking. But actually, what Paul has in mind is a different type of equality. And it's equality that is not rooted in us, but is rooted in who we are in Jesus Christ. And then Paul twists the expectations again and says, as the body of Christ, you all need one another. If you can bear to do it, just look around for a minute. Look at all these people in here. If we're following Jesus this morning, if we're part of the body of Christ, we need one another. We are all equal. We were made equal at the cross. We were sinners in need of a savior. We're all equal when we're reborn of the spirit. We are dearly loved sons and daughters of the living God. You see, real equality is not just about the breaking down of human barriers, but it's about knowing who we are when we are in Christ Jesus. 500 years ago this year marks the anniversary of the Reformation. I don't know if any of you have done any reading up on this or seen anything about it, but 500 years ago, Martin Luther, um, the great reformer, started to take issue with some of the things the Church of his day was teaching. And he started to say, hold on a minute. Authority in the church is not found in leaders, it's not found in um, the traditions of the church, but it's found in the scriptures. It's found in what the Bible says. And he also went on to sort of say that actually faith is, so, is the way that we reach God. Through faith, we are saved. And it's interesting, though, after the Reformation, much of the stuff in the church carried on the same. Much of the ministry of the church carried on being done by ministers and church leaders and people who were perhaps seen as the top of a church hierarchy. You know, sadly today, that continues in so many different churches. But the church is never meant to be like that. This is what Paul says here. The work of the church is never meant to be distilled into a handful of omnicompetent, multiply-gifted people. It was sort of rather like the Archangel Gabriel managing to do everything. See, Paul doesn't use the restaurant as the illustration of what the church is like, or the taverna, perhaps, if we're thinking Greek-wise. He doesn't use that. He doesn't say the church is meant to be like a whole load of people sat around, served by one or two waiters. Nor does he use the lecture hall, where perhaps the church is the place where everyone comes and sits and listens, while somebody else tells them how it is. Nor does he use the football match, or the sports arena, where 22 people are on the pitch in desperate need of a rest, while 44,000 are sat there in desperate need of exercise. He doesn't use that as an illustration either. No, he uses this thing, the body, with all its different parts. You know, if you twist your ankle, the whole body suffers, doesn't it? If one part of your body does well, the rest of it celebrates. And Paul's point is, belonging to the body of Christ is not a spectator sport, but it's a commitment to all hands on deck, to see the gospel of Jesus lived out amongst us here, yes, but also taken to the ends of the world now perhaps you're here today and actually you like the bit about being served you know you like coming and being part of church and having you know people do things and being part of a, a really great church fellowship but actually you're struggling with that bit about serving others at the moment look around again if you can bear to we need to serve one another That is the amazing imagery that Paul has for us here. We need to become more and more of who God wants us to be. And so thirdly, serving as part of the body of Christ. Paul has used an illustration about the body. He's talked about real equality in Christ. He's talked about being saved. He's talked about baptism in the spirit. And only now does he then bring it back to actually how different people serve. And again, think of, the, think of the situation in Corinth, if you can, from last week, where people thought that speaking in tongues was right at the pinnacle. Where does he put it here? Right at the end. He inverts everybody's thinking in so many ways. We went through all these gifts last week, so I don't want to go through them in detail, but just look at the order that Paul puts them in. First of all, he speaks about the foundational gifts of the church. The apostles, that is the sort of the leadership, the, the founding of the church. The prophets, those who will speak God's word into the here and now situation. The teachers, those who will apply God's word to the day um, that the church is in. And all those gifts are those that will establish the church richly in Jesus. And then he goes on and he talks about gifts that bring God's mercy and relief into the here and now. Look at them, miracles, healing, helping, and guidance. And then finally, the old favorite of Corinth, the gift of tongues. We saw last week how God has gifted all the church. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are given out to everybody who belongs to the church. It's not just for ministers or leaders or people who lead small groups or whatever. But we all need one another. We need one another. Are you listening to what that means for you? Is God prompting you in a particular way? You know, this week has been encouraging in many ways for me because a number of people have stepped up to sort of take on different ministries within the life of the church. And it's amazing when that happens. But you may be here today, you may be thinking, well, actually, I know God has called me to do something. I'm just not getting on and doing it. You know, if that's you, can I encourage you to hear what God is saying? Come and chat to me, come and chat to one of the other leaders and let's get you plugged in to what God is calling you to do. couple of moments, we're going to move into baptism, but just to round this off before we do that. I just want to ask you the question, are you part of Christ's body this morning? Do you know what it means to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you got faith in him? If you haven't, then this morning, can I encourage you to step out and take Jesus at his word, that he is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God? And respond to him, and you will meet him. You will meet him. Perhaps you have made that response already. Perhaps you did it years ago. But you've not yet been baptized. If that's you this morning, can I encourage you to take that step and say, yes, Lord, I will be obedient. I know it seems weird. You know, it's not a normal thing that we plunge people into pools of water. But it's a step of obedience because Jesus calls us to do it. And it's that symbolism of what has happened in our heart. So that's the first thing, if either of those things are you. And then just secondly, if you are part of the body of Christ this morning, but actually you're not sort of taking that calling that God has placed on you seriously, is God challenging you to do something about that today? Don't leave it. Don't just sit back. Be part of the body as Christ has called you to be. Let's pray, and then in a few moments we'll invite the young people back in, and we'll move towards the baptism. Let's pray. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lord, I thank you that the gospel is such amazingly good news. Thank you that when we turn to you, you put the hope of eternity in our heart. Thank you that when we turn our lives back to you, we find the open arms of our Heavenly Father longing to welcome us into his embrace. And so, Lord, I particularly want to pray for anyone this morning who has decisions in their hearts to make. Lord, by your Spirit, would you give courage? And we pray now as we move towards the baptism that as Richard declares his faith in Jesus, that this will just be such an inspiration to all of us to see him step out in obedience to you. So thank you for your presence. Thank you for your promises. And thank you that you're with us now in Jesus name amen